while their mom and dad are in prison, we want the church to be the hands and feet of Christ, to wrap around those families and say, you are loved. You don't have to be ashamed. You are not alone. The church is here to serve you. And so that is the primary purpose of Angel Tree. So when churches come alongside us to serve the families that begins at Christmas, they not only get a gift, but they also get the gift of the gospel. Charles Colson is the former White House counsel and President Nixon's hatchet man. He served time in federal prison camp where he felt led by God to honor a promise he made to remember prisoners and their families. That promise grew into the world's largest family of prison ministries known as Prison Fellowship. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We're going to talk today about the ministry of Prison Fellowship, how local churches are connecting with this wonderful organization. Matter of fact, I believe the largest Christian nonprofit organization in the country. Brenda McGowan is here with us. She is the National Director for Church and Community Engagement for Prison Fellowship. Brenda, welcome to Memphis. Welcome to Bot Radio Network. Thank you, Byron. Thank you so much for having us. Is this your first time in Memphis? Absolutely not. I've been here on several occasions uh, before I came to Prison Fellowship and maybe three or four times since then. Um, when I started with Prison Fellowship, I was a regional director at some point. And I was assigned Tennessee to serve uh, through the Prison Fellowship Angel Tree Program. And immediately I was struck by the number of children that uh, needed to be connected to a local church through our program in the Shelby County area. So, you know, in my previous life, I did uh, social services and serve at-risk families and directed some programs and, and organizations. And I knew by the sheer number of children in the county that there were some other issues and challenges yeah. here. So I came to Memphis and I start asking the leadership in churches and nonprofit organizations, what is what are the issues? You know, of course we know there's poverty and single parenthood, but there are a number of young people whose parents are incarcerated here. So that's when I came to Memphis and the first time I came here I met with a juvenile court judge. And he said to us that, get this. 50% of the youth in state juvenile detention centers are arrested in Shelby County. 50% of the youth residents in juvenile detention centers are arrested in Shelby County. I was so struck by that. But then those numbers that I saw made sense to me. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, that's how I came to know Memphis through my role at Prison Fellowship. So I know originally you were from Chicago South Side, where you grew up uh, from a warm, caring, loving family. Is Absolutely. that right? Absolutely, I did. Now your home is in the Atlanta area, and the territory that you have for Prison Fellowship is southeast. I mean, it's a pretty large area, isn't it? It's actually national now. Oh, it's national. It, it started oh, off as big southeast. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's national. Yes, yeah, so I get to serve more people is what that means. Part of what you do, too, Brenda, is connecting with local churches as you talk about the heartbreak you had for these children, knowing of the inmates and the separation and things they were going through. Yeah, I mean, someone who does a crime needs to serve the time. We don't argue with that. But there's also other factors there. Absolutely. Children that sometimes lose a mom and a dad or one or the other. So there needs to be help and, and some direction and some guidance for these children. And so you help connect churches. And I want to also welcome, as we start off our program, Sheila Floyd. Sheila 
and her husband, Ricky, have been ministering here in Memphis through the Pursuit of God Transformation Center. Ricky's a dear friend. Matter of fact, this is how we got together today. Ricky calls me from St. Louis. He and Sheila are, are having kind of a getaway weekend, I think. I don't know. But they're, they're just <laughs> relaxing and enjoying. And I'm on vacation. He calls me and said, Byron, you have got to meet Brenda McGowan. We just got to get her in Memphis on the studio. She's going to be in town. So that's why we're here today. So you connected through Miss Sheila and Pastor Ricky to implement Angel Tree. Is that right, Miss Sheila? Well, it's a kind of a little difficult story. <laughs> we actually connected with Angel Tree Program, Prison Fellowship, last year because at the end of the year, another gentleman who was serving Prison Fellowship contacted us for his help because there were all these children that were still unserved. So we rallied together in like two weeks and we really pulled something off really good last year. And so um, by another one of our dear, dear lovable women who are here with us in the studio, Ms. Deborah Taylor, she called us and said, hey, have you heard of Angel Tree Prison Fellowship? And so we were like, yeah, as a matter of fact, we did that last year and we are also a part of it this year officially as the adopters this year. And so it was just kind of a coming together, what I would call just a divine appointments and confirmation of what we're doing. And so that's how we got connected with Miss Brenda. Miss Sheila, the ministry that you and your husband and the folks there at the church and Frazier, mm-hmm. you have a lot of youth. So when you hear stats like Brenda just shared, 50% mm-hmm. of the resident youth here are being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an alarming. And a lot of those youth are from the Frazier community, probably from the neighborhood where you serve. Well, yes. And, and Frazier is one of the bigger communities here in Memphis. So it's not surprising to us, uh, particularly when you hear a lot of the negative news that comes out of Memphis. And so although, thank God, crime is going down yes. in that community, but it still has a negative effect on all the children. Well, it's because of work like the Pursuit of God Transformation Center and many other parachurch organizations, too, mm-hmm. churches coming together. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been like a wake-up call. It's exciting. There's little, what I like to call, many explosions of God's grace and power that are changing lives. And people are doing this as a unit, too, not just individually. They're starting to come together to see the need. Isn't that mm-hmm. exciting for That's you, ex- Brenda? Oh, oh, my gosh. We were talking about this in a meeting and how that this is a Kairos moment in our world, not just in Tennessee, not just in the United States, but we are coming to the realization that crime and incarceration affects all of us. And so when you walk into a room and a pastor is talking about criminal justice reform. And then when you go to the state house and representatives like state representative Antonio Parkinson Mm -hmm. and others are looking to change policy and prison fellowship is looking to to partner with them. You know that it is God's appointed time. Prison fellowship, angel tree program really seeks to reconcile prisoners, ex-prisoners, their families, communities to God. And the Angel Tree program addresses the need of every child, and that is the need for them to feel loved by their mom and dad. But while their mom and dads are in prison, we want the church to be the hands and feet of Christ, to wrap around those families and say, you are loved. You don't have to be ashamed. You are not alone. The church is here to serve you. And so that is the primary purpose of Angel Tree. So when churches come alongside us to serve the families that begins at Christmas, they not only get a gift, 
but they also get the gift of the gospel. Yes. And after church Christmas is done, the church can contact the prisoner and extend their love to the prisoner. The church can invite the children and the caregivers into the church and say, come and go to our vacation Bible school. Come and be a part of our youth ministry. Come and be a part of our substance abuse ministry or whatever the issues and challenges are that those families face. The church whom God has called yes. to restore those can stand up and represent Christ for that family. Brenda, what are some of the barriers to overcome that incarcerated men and women have to face once they're released from prison? I'm glad you asked that question, Byron. There are some 48,000 legal restrictions, we call them collateral consequences, that men and women face after they have served their time. When they come back to the community, they face restrictions in housing, how they can provide for their families, even in getting licensed in some areas of training that they've received in preparation for coming home. So, for example, if a man is in prison and he learns to barber, to be a barber, there in some states there are restrictions for him even getting licensed after he comes home so that he can start a business and provide for his family. So there are 48,000 such restrictions that folks face when they come home. And what about some of the misunderstandings that a church possibly possesses toward formerly incarcerated men and women as they walk into the doors of their church? Well, I would say the church and society as a whole are under misconception that everyone in prison is, is violent. Mm-hmm. They're probably, give or take a few percentages, less than 20% of the folks in prison are violent criminals. The other percentage of folks are there for nonviolent crimes. They're there because they had an addiction. Or they were just trying to provide for their family. Trying to provide for their family or trying to provide for their addiction. They were doing a number of things, you know. And they made a bad choice. A bad choice, much like many of us did. Yes. But we were not caught, you know. The Bible talks about sin. You know, crime is sin. God is the first one who said, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet from your neighbor. God started this, right? Mm -hmm. Which means that we're responsible for reminding folks that that not committing crime is a, a moral imperative, right? So the church goes into prison. We do Bible studies, and and we really work on a transformation of the heart. And then we also provide programs through prison fellowship and other ministries to work on to change the thinking. Because the Bible says the way a man thinks is the way that he will be. So we want to change the thinking so the behavior change. But the challenge becomes when they, they walk out of that gate. Who is at that gate to meet them? The church is challenged with fear as much as, you know, many of us are because it's, They fear what they don't know and they don't understand, right? The church is challenged with, you know, really an understanding and awareness of the needs of the families and the the men and women who are coming home from prison. How do you serve a woman who's been in prison 10 years? She went to prison because she had a heroin addiction, and now she has to begin to reparent her children. Now she has to become a productive member of the community. Where does she fit in our church? So the church really, really is challenged to understand that, A, these folks are have been redeemed and are in need of forgiveness and restoration, as we are, but also challenged to understand the challenges that folks face right. and really knowing that they 
probably already serving the folks in their church. But anyone who's been in prison is really ashamed to self-identify as being a prisoner, being affected by crime and incarceration. They're afraid of the judgment. Okay. Uh, Many are afraid that when you find out that I've been in prison, that you may not hire me. You may not allow me to work in leadership. You may not allow me to lead that ministry program, you know. So the church is challenged with the just the awareness primarily. Um, right. Well, according to, uh, I think back in 2015, the statistics about the American criminal justice system, more than half of the state prisoners end up returning to prison within five years of their release. Where is the rehabilitation value of the justice system? And where's the breakdown do you see? Well, let me just say this. The good news, the good news is there is a shift. Are we hearing the stats from Prison Fellowship? These are national you know, Absolutely. statistics, but are we hearing the stats mixed in from what you guys are doing? The stats are correct. And it depended upon how they're measuring and what formula they've used to measure. It could be anywhere from 50 to 65 percent as far as the rate of recidivism is concerned. And rate of recidivism is the return to prison for the same or a different crime. So if let's use the figure of 50 percent, if 50 percent are coming back within three years, then we have a problem. Rehabilitation has not happened. Many prison systems throughout the United States are involved in, in the reforming their system. So we've gone from lock them up and throw away the key to, oh, no, they're here, and, and we don't want them to come back. Yeah. And so now we have organizations like Prison Fellowship that are providing programs in the prisons that are of value. We are now partnering with the Department of Corrections across the United States through programs like our Prison Fellowship Academy, which is a year-long program and engages a cohort group of men and women who are being prepared for reentry. Okay, okay. So we deal with issues of substance abuse. We deal with issues of parenting and financing. Why do you think the way you do? What is ethical thinking behavior? And those programs are open to people of faith and to people of non-faith. Right. Of course, we want them to come to our side. But even if they never do, we want them to come back to community as productive people. And we want our communities to be safe. And so we are partnering with the Department of Corrections to address that 50 percent who may come back. Yeah. Let's talk about a moment. Go back to that apprehension, I guess, that a church might have as they look at a man or woman recently released. Sheila, your ministry, when someone might come into your church doors, I talk about that process. Have you been able to identify ex-convicts that have come in, how the church has received, maybe ways you've been able to minister to these? Well, first, I'm going to give you a little bit of history. We started off pretty much a parachurch organization. God told us to stop it. He said, you're doing good, but you can only do a little bit by yourself. So we were actually housing these type of people in our own personal home. We brought them in. We housed them, we clothed them, we fed them. We had um, a young lady who had never had any of her children. She didn't have custody of any of her children, one of whom you met yesterday. And when we helped her get custody of her children, she had been in, in and out, in and out. Didn't know how to register her children for school, didn't know how to take them to get their shots, things of that nature. And Sheila, these are American Memphis area citizens. We're not talking about somebody from a different country that's coming here that doesn't speak the language 
We're talking about somebody who's having to face these type of obstacles sure. that are our very own, our family. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up family because that is like a strong mandate that we have because I feel like everything, even in the Bible, is built around the formula of the family. And if we get back to family, we're God's family. And when we start seeing, okay, who is, he's been our provider. He's been our defender. He's been our protector. He's been our healer. So we have to come back and be that to these people and not judge them because truth be told, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we come in with the measure of, we just want to love you because none of us really want you to go back and look in our closets before salvation. We've had people that will come in, not necessarily, I, I won't say directly out of prison, but one of our outreach programs have them where they'll end up on the street. So they'll take them in off the street, begin to house them, feed them, do the same thing, help them get medical care. So we haven't had as much a problem with that because we're not the church that judges. I'll say it like that. Mm-hmm. We're in the heart of the community. Yes. And one of the persons that's extremely close to us in ministry was in jail serving a 99-year sentence for something that he did as a child, basically. And and so the system, when you start talking about rehabilitation, the system really was kind of failing him because the whole parole situation and what the parole is requiring of them. And Now, I have to work, but I have to make these meetings, and then sometimes I have to judge whether or not I'm going to make my parole meeting or go to work because now the workforce system has people where they're changing shifts, may not even be a permanent position now. So now there are a lot of issues that we look at that it's just not helping. So this one gentleman got pulled over for a brake light out. Long story short, ended back up in Texas to serve a 99-year sentence who's been a good citizen of the community. He's been a part of our church for like 14 years. He has the same wife for 21 years. He's lived in the same home for 21 years. His home is paid off. But they threw him back in prison. For a brake light. Well, it was a little more complicated than that. It was because of the parole situation. Right. And you guys are telling me, I got to keep a job, but you want I'm about to lose my job. So, you know, we've been able to really. So this is something you see every day, Brenda. Every day. And, and, and what I want, I want us to just really put on our, our hat of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. I want you to think about that one situation. He's providing for his family. He has a home. He's productive. He's engaged and involved in building community. And now, for whatever reason, he's back in prison. Think about the children. Think about the economic impact on his family and the community. And how, again, going back to these collateral consequences, how is it that we want people to be restored? How is it that I've served my time and, I, and then I still, I still every, for the rest of my life. It's a stigma. It's a stigma that for right now will not go away. And so, so many times, I, I'll tell you a quick story, uh, one that is very personal. My passion for this work started when I was 18 years old. Well, my brother went to prison for 11 years. He was released in 1994. He was exonerated shortly thereafter. And his record was expunged 23 years later. He went to rent an apartment so that he can finish writing a book. 
and complete a documentary on his life. This was three months ago. He was denied on the application for something that he was expunged from and exonerated from. So here it is. He's 50-something years old, a daughter in college. It keeps coming up. At what point are people completely restored? This really speaks to our work that we have to do in conjunction with our lawmakers. This changes you, you, with the been, stroke of a pen. And you've been quite involved with trying to mesh both of these together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first of all, the challenges that we faced began with the well, began with sin. Let's, let's, that's there. Yeah. But it also was it grew out of a policy. So you think about our war on crime uh, policies of the 80s. Honestly, it was in response to something that we could not fathom and manage. You know, this whole explosion of drugs, addictions, and how it was affecting our communities, right? So we responded, with, you know, government, you come in and do what you do, you know, because the role of government primarily is do what we can't do for ourselves, right? So we welcomed them in. Well, these policies, not that we anticipated, they decimated our communities. You have men who've been in prison 20 and 30 years, who were fathers, who were uncles, who were brothers, who were sons. And so what happens when men are taken out of the community? What happens? We lose our providers, our protectors. We lose our cover. We lose $65 billion in access to economics in our community. Now, let's talk about the dollar impact. You know, when you look at the age group of men and and women in prison now, you talk, I think maybe, I think I'm going to say 25 to 45. Well, that's the height of earning capacity. So think about what we've lost in our community in our tax base, in our schools, the other resources we need, we need to grow in, in the community. So this is huge. And so our lawmakers, uh, particularly in Tennessee right now, in December, there are some juvenile justice reform efforts that we'd love to work with the uh, House Committee on Criminal Justice Reform to really implement some of these yes. reforms in our community. We, we want the youth and the children in our community know we believe in your intrinsic value. You were created in the image of God. You are the Imago Day yes. of God. And, and regardless of your circumstances, you can be restored. God loves you and so do we. You can be like Byron. You can be like Brenda. You know, you can be like Pastor Ford. You can be like President Obama. You can be like President. Let me tell you something else. A little known fact. Jared Kirshner, the president's son-in-law, he was even impacted by incarceration. His father was in prison. You see, this affects all of us. Today, there's this growing epidemic with the heroin and opioid addictions, right? Women are the fastest growing prison population. Think about that. It's a breakdown of the family. This is an evil attack from our enemy, we know, to kill, steal, and destroy and as Sheila so wonderfully mm-hmm. explained about engaging those who are outcast, despised, and rejected from society to the point where they were living in her home. Mm-hmm. Because these are people created in the image of God Absolutely. and just needing a second chance, needing mm-hmm. some grace, needing some love, needing a way to get themselves back on their feet in some direction. But again, you mentioned 48,000 restrictions and in your brother in this apartment, we, we do need to pray. We do need to engage this. Okay, as we're wrapping up the show, ladies, 
What can we give our listeners today? What can we tell them that they can do to engage the ministry of Prison Fellowship Mm -hmm. and maybe to connect with you, Mashila, too? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. We need we need prayer. You know, some things come by fasting and praying. This is enormous. Right. You think about two point two million men and women in prison, over seven hundred thousand coming home every year. Their children who are affected. Pray. Let's start by praying. Pray for angel tree. Prison Fellowship, Angel Tree, and programs like it. We can register. You can register your church to serve children right in your local community. It's not Christmas yet because we just finished the Christmas season, but you can do that for this upcoming season. You can you can do that today. today. You can go online and register your church, or you can contact us. Well, you can contact us online at angeltree.org. Register your church online. Or you can call us at 1-800-55-ANGEL. Register via phone. We also have local staff throughout the United States who are able to start to yes. answer your questions and register your church. In addition to signing up for um, Angel Tree, you can invite uh, one of our subject matter experts. We've just established our speakers bureau. I saw the list on your website. It's amazing. We have some amazing folks with some amazing stories. We have stories. the best one right here today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Amen. you, Byron. Thank you. Other thing you can do is join Prison Fellowship to support our national effort to celebrate April Second Chance Month, right? So last year, we gained bipartisan support to declare April as Second Chance Month. What that means is when we talk about those 48,000 collateral consequences, we want to celebrate the churches who have recognized that we need to work together with the community, with our legislators, to remove these barriers. And then finally, you can always give a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue our work in the communities. Which is a fantastic work. And before we say goodbye, too, Sheila, would you give us just a little brief snippet of the impact? Now, we're recording the show today. You'll be going later to meet with some children, mm-hmm. provide Christmas for them. So you did this last year, but talk about how that's impacted not only the children, but your church too. Well, this, again, is the first year we're coming in with the fullness of Angel Tree. So we're excited about that. The reason why we're excited about that is because this is an avenue for us to reach them that we didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And so um, with the ability to not just reach the children, but we have an opportunity to reach their caregivers. Because my mother, I didn't have a relative that was in prison, but I did have my mother had to help raise her grandchildren for a time. And we even took in my sister's children for some time. So to be able to have a program where we can say, you know what, we can aid these grandmothers who are raising their children. We can aid these single moms who just say, hey, I just need something to do with my kids or, or my boys in particularly. So we have like a program called the Husband Institute that we have instituted in our church, basically, where these young men, they come in and a lot of these young men will tell you their fathers are in prison. Mm-hmm. They don't know their father. They've never seen their father or a latest story I've heard is my father was recently released from prison and he's got a Facebook page where he's just really engaging community. But I've only talked to him once. So we're there to say, you know what? We got guys up here that will stand in the gap because nine times out of 10, dad is scared. He doesn't know how to be a father. He's still trying to discover that, hey, we have 
phones that are not flip phones now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but for us to be able to reach these underserved people through this age tree process is amazing. It's so amazing. God bless you, my dear sisters. Sheila Floyd, Brenda McGowan, thank you so much for what you both are doing for Christ's kingdom through the ministry of the church and also through Prison Fellowship. We're going to have to say goodbye. But again, that website for Angel Tree is angeltree.org. Dot org. Dot org. Now, Sheila, if someone wants information, again, about the Pursuit of God Transformation Center, what's that website? It is thepursuitofgod.org. Okay. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do want to say a very special thanks to Deborah Taylor. She's in the room with us right now. She has been putting so much effort into this whole program. God bless you, Ms. Deborah. Thank you for being here today. We'll say goodbye on that. I'm Byron Tyler. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.